And we're so grateful that God, things come and things go. Things happen that sometimes leave such a, a spray of surprise in our lives. And yet the, the constant, the thing we just sang about and rem, reminded ourselves of is that you and your love are constant and continuous. You're the one that we long for. You're the one that we, we look for in times of trouble. When life doesn't work quite the way we want it to, help us to look to you more quickly and keep looking at you more continuously. I guess that's a little bit of what you said when you preached those words, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all those things that all of us, most of us, I do, tend to focus on and worry about at times, they fade. They just kind of lose their importance and, and you come into focus. So, Lord, help us today to be so secure in a God who loves us, who came and gave his life for us that we might know you and one day when we leave this life, go to be with you. And we thank you with conviction in our souls that that day is coming. All because of you, Jesus, which is why we love you. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Hey, have a seat and uh, welcome on a, um, a special Sunday uh, of the year. It's a Sunday where I um, have on my mind, and many of you do as well, uh, a, a bunch of people that uh, some of them I know, uh, most of them I don't know. These are people who um, did something that I'm forever thankful for, for me. Uh, this is Memorial Day weekend. And uh, I, um, I, I'm, I'm not dismissing kids just yet. But they're, they're free to go, but I'm, I just wanted them to hear the importance of this. Every year around this time, we... We know that the summer's about to begin because Memorial Day starts it and Labor Day ends it. We kind of get those benchmarks or bookmarks. But there's something really big about this day that we celebrate, that we commemorate, really. It's a better word for it. Those that have gone before us and given uh, the ultimate sacrifice, that's what Memorial Day is about. Men and women who put it on the line and they wanted to come home as badly as I would have wanted to come home. And they didn't get to. And I'm grateful for that. It's always been kind of a political day or I guess a national holiday of sorts. But it became very personal for me 19 years ago now. When uh, one of our very own here at Grace Point, one of the first to fall in, I, in the Iran conflict, Eric McCrae, um, 
uh, his father, Scott McCray, and his mother, Terry, were part of our church. He was, um, and it, it was an impactful experience then, and it remains so. Enough said to uh, help you see why it be, has become personal and not just a, hey, a party, let's uh, celebrate. Um, we are Americans, so we get to celebrate, but we have a, a debt of gratitude to people like Eric and his family and many others that you know of. So I'd like to lead us in prayer, and I'd like you to stand once again as I do so in honor of people that have fallen uh, for our sake so that we can worship like this. And, uh, and we will worship you no matter what, Jesus, in the land of the free and the home of the brave or anywhere else on planet Earth because you are the living God. And you're the one that said, um, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends, and that's indeed what you did literally the next morning from when you said those words. And we look at others that have made sacrifices. Eric McCray and his family. It's not just his loss of life, but it's their loss in a profound personal sense too. We thank you for them. We pray right now for our country that we would live more deserving of their sacrifice. And we thank you for a country that it, it, it's not perfect, but it's not as bad as it could be. We pray for the world around us, that they would be patient while we get our act together, and that we would continue to lead this world not only as a place of freedom, uh, full of rights, but deeply held responsibilities that we live out, and that they would know as they look our direction that we are uh, a, a place where God is at work, and that would be true of every person hearing these words this morning. And we love you for giving us the example of laying down your life. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat again, people. Kids, uh, you're off. Have a great time. Enjoy your time. And um, we will as well. Sometimes you kids must wonder, what do, what do they do without us? <laughs> wonder no more. If you ever wonder why we're late to pick you up. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. It's just a joke. Um, so summertime, hey, let me ask a question. I forgot to ask it last week. Show me your hand. How many of you received uh, one or maybe two, uh, I guess, emails from me requesting money? <laughs> I was not ready for that answer. <laughs> not a few of you, maybe. The whole bunch of you. So, <laughs> did you send me any? <laughs> what is wrong with this place? <laughs> well, you have, you have learned as I have. Uh, I, I suspect we've, we we're doing an investigation to try to figure out exactly why the repetition here. I suspect it's something about... Uh, being a very public ministry, and um, I, I don't know exactly why, maybe live stream, there are people there that know, uh, uh, you know, lots more than uh, just, hey, it was a good worship and time in the Word. They know a little bit about details of our lives. But thank you for not saying, if you're ever curious, ever concerned, ever worried, 
just trust me, I don't ask for money. And secondly, uh, if you're still not convinced and you're inclined to spend your money to help uh, a version of me in a foreign country, <laughs> then call the office before you do anything, okay? So you'll be kept out of harm's way. But um, I wanted you to know that uh, not all have been that fortunate in past attempts. Um, and um, so it, it, it bothers us, but uh, God took care of them and took care of uh, the situation. Speaking of being gone, we were gone for three weeks, as you know, and while there, uh, one of our first stops after we celebrated our 40th anniversary was at uh, Bond University, think James Bond, you know, um, and uh, it was Bond University, no connection there, but it's where our son uh, got his doctorate in physical therapy, physio, they know it, in the island, and um, he practiced a couple of years in Perth, way over on the West Coast, and then came home. And he's home now and hoping to get uh, uh, placed in a hospital here in Portland. Has a couple that are looking at each other about uh, that possibility. But I tell you that because that is, in fact, if you want to look closely later, the shirt I am wearing. It's actually a Bond University shirt. And it has plumeria. Pl Did I say that right? Yeah, plumeria. That's the flowers. But there's something really cool on here which is uh, a shark head. So it really is a picture of things that we did and fought and <laughs> faced in our time there. No, um, but anyway, that explains it. People go, whoa, Hawaii. Well, actually, no, Hawaii is still about 6,000 miles away from here, but um, it was really a, a special place, and uh, I wear the shirt proudly. So enough of that. And, and it leads me into my message because... It really is summer times here, right? And um, <clears throat> summertime signals a time. I think, for me anyway, it's, it's like that circadian rhythms or whatever they call. It's just a feeling I have that, hey, it's time to kind of switch things up a bit. just feels that way. So even if you notice in our ministry year, our calendar year, we actually have a, a, a kind of a focus. We try to from September to May. And then we, we shift gears this time of the year, and we, we kind of move into a summertime series or focus. And it's kind of a fun time. Weather's warmer and drier, and that favors things like shorts. I didn't wear them today, but you feel free anytime you want. Come, come any way you want. We always maintain you don't have to dress up or straighten up. Just show up, okay? So... That's cool, and that's up to you and whatever you're, you're feeling comfortable with. But people, you know, they wear, they, they wear uh, like lighter and maybe uh, more casual, and even in my case today, colorful clothes. That's cool. So uh, it's summertime is my point. And what you do with the longer and uh, it's been called the lazy days of summer is, is kind of fun. I'll bet it's, how many of you change up something in your life in summertime, right? That's good. That's, I mean, it's good that you do that, and it's fun, hopefully for you, refreshing. In fact, I was thinking about um, the word vacation. It's a happy word, isn't it? Like when you hear somebody say, hey, uh, we just got back from vacation, they, they, they don't look at you and go, oh, I'm so sorry. So sorry that happened to you. 
you know. They, they're, they're interested. They want to know. They're, they're excited. They know. It's why, you know, kids, when they talk, ask any child. Teachers do this. Hey, children, what was your summer like? That'll come out in September or late August when school year begins. What was your summer like? And uh, your child can't talk about the summer in most cases without a smile. It's just what it is. Oh, we finished the sentence. So um, let me just say on the front end, I'm not a big Alice Cooper fan. <laughs> but in 1972, he put his finger on the pulse of a lot of people with his billion-dollar baby. School's out fall summer. <laughs> School's out forever, you know, and he just went on, right? No more pencils, no more books, come on, no more teachers, dirty looks, right? You got it, right? And you heard that in church, you got it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so let's get serious now, okay? We've got some things. No, um, so in that spirit, we're going to change it up. I want to I introduce to you a, um, a short pulpit series. It starts today here at Grace Point, and uh, your title is on the um, note page that I hope you'll have plenty to fill uh, today, and the title is what I'm calling And Leave the results to God. You'll notice it's done in italics to suggest a, an action point, an ongoing thing. And, and it's a partial sentence. Whatever goes before it will come up not only today, but in the days of this summer series. So, uh, and some have already asked me, even this morning, uh, about what about Acts, you know, and my response is don't panic. We will come back to our series in the Acts of the Apostles, or what we've called reverently the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And we'll come back to that in the fall, and we're going to finish with a flare, okay? So you're going you're gonna to like where we uh, end up. We're actually in chapter 21, so we've been cruising, but taking it without a hurry because we know there's deep things that we need to digest, and that's been my approach. So there's a single word I want to present to you, and you, you need to write it down right away. And it is, in fact, the word that um, expresses, I guess, my thinking behind this series, this new one that starts today and leave <clears throat> the results to God. And it's the word overreach. Overreach. Um, would you, many of you I see you're writing it already, so overreach. It's the idea of going too far. Now, in a world where you hear sermons even that are constantly, you got to do more. Get with it. Go for it. Lean into it. This one's, and the series ahead, a suggestion that sometimes 
Therein lies our problem. There's many uses. Let's understand the word when I use overreach. Okay? Going too far. First thought I had, I want you to go back to last time you were on a tall ladder. Okay? <laughs> Some nervous chuckles. I get that. All right? So you're on a tall ladder, and the ladder has a narrow sort of width to it, somewhat approximating the human body. Right? And if you're like me and you're power washing or painting up high, and I really don't, I've got sweaty palms right now when I tell you that. I don't like doing that and I won't do it anymore. Let's move, Debbie. <laughs> this is kind of my new motto. Um, but the deal is I've done this. I get up high and when I'm up there with a power washer or, or a roller or whatever, I find myself wanting to not just stay in my lane, if I can use that term right now, but I, I'm like, that's, ah, if I could just get over there, then, you know, I'm calculating in my head, it will mean less moves of this big ladder. And so I lean out a little bit. And how many have done that? Yes, you have. A room full of dummies, right? I mean, that's us. Why do we think that way? And so you lean out, and I'm just going to say, if you're that person or thinking of being that person, it will not be your brightest move, okay? It just, it, it just won't. It will likely not turn out well either because you overreached. Here's the second one. It's a little more serious, and it's a little more irritating, we know it as government or governmental overreach. Okay. Um, it's something we're pretty sensitive about, I think. Um, we have sort of a trigger reaction to it when we encounter it. What we think is, wait, you're going too far here, government, whoever you are. I'm not talking parties here. I'm, not, I'm just talking about the government. Um, here's the deal. We want our leaders to lead well by their example. That's at least why I vote for X rather than Y. I want them to lead well by a good example or to encourage me to make good choices. All right? That's all good. That's all good leadership. But when they mandate for example, that we all drive electric vehicles only. Stay with me. Stay with me. I know some of you are going to kick me to the curb because I drive a diesel. I'm going to park that diesel in front of Salem or Washington, D.C. if they get in my grill. Just joking. That's just, that's just, just forgetting. If you don't know, that's just me messing around, okay? But if they mandate... I'm not saying electric's not good. But if they mandate that, that all of us, in fact, we're not going to sell gas, much less diesel trucks or anything else in this state or country except electric, then in my humble opinion, they've overreached. There's another state that's already done this, and I was aware of this yesterday because we had a uh, load of bark dust come. And at the end of the load of bark dust, there's something that you need to do. Clean up the mess. And I thought of what it would feel like if I had to get a broom out there, 
Or uh, this is not an easy, dusty mess. Here, let me fix it. This is a big, sustaining mess. If I didn't have power tools, and you say they're all, there's electric for all that. I know, there's electric chainsaws, there's electric uh, leaf blowers, there's electric um, you know, edgers, the whole deal, mowers. And, you know, have you seen what an uh, electric chainsaw can cut? It's just slightly bigger than a toothpick. <laughs> I got a dead tree in the backyard, okay? You, you get my point here. Somebody said something that was funny. John Hurt. No? I will not put that on the permanent recording of live stream right now. It's just not going to happen. Um, so anyway, you get my idea. Don't go too far. Uh, I, I, it's sensitive for us. It's a bother to us when we perceive that a good idea, I'm not saying pollute the air with all the lawnmowers, but come on, don't encourage us and some of us will get there and some won't quite as fast, but we'll get there. Here's a third one. Parenting overreach. It's true. I'm setting this up because of what's coming next. Parenting uh, it's, it overreach is easy to do. I've had three goes at it. And I'm not talking about little children. Um, I've done this. And it, and it happens anytime we assist one of our children, little people, medium people, or grown-up adult children. Anytime we assist them with a daily task that they can and should do. Um, on their own. That's parental overreach. Uh, when we do, we've gone too far. So that means that their room is theirs to clean up and pick up. My mom did not do that one well. She folded my everything. And then when I messed it up by the next day looking for something didn't matter, <clears throat> it would be folded again. That's too much. Mom should have put me on restrictions for the next month or two or three. She should have got my attention. She did it out of love, right? Can we say that? Absolutely. But um, their chores, your children's chores, if they're still in the house, are theirs to keep up on. Here's one that was hard for me. Their homework that's not done and it's due tomorrow. I'll confess it, I'm sorry to you teachers, but I've actually done their homework at times for them. And they got terrible grade anyway. No. <laughs> How did I blow it in third grade? Like, no, but you get the idea. You go too far, right? And um, when we do that, I mean, James Dobson used to say, we're clipping their wings. We're making it hard for them to fly. Don't do that. Let them struggle through it. Uh, you know, anyway, caterpillar to a butterfly. No, it doesn't need help. It doesn't need your help. But you kill it. Okay. One more example um, that, that most of us practice from time to time. And maybe 
often. I'd call it, you guessed, spiritual overreach. Spiritual overreach. It happens, listen closely now, when we are given a biblical priority, okay? Not somebody's will for your life, His will for your life. Not somebody's good suggestion and they try to kind of dress it spiritually. I'm not, I'm not drawing fault at that. I'm simply saying it's a, it's a greater th- authority than that. It's the authority that says, thus saith the Lord. So you come away with a priority here that God has for your life. Think of them as commandments that God wants you and me to carry out. Okay? So we start with a good thing. Things like prayer and giving and forgiving and work and maybe hardest of all, obedience. Yet we fail to leave room for God to work. Uh, We are overreaching. It's not clear yet, I understand that, but it will get clear this morning. One of the most frustrating examples, I learn by examples. I can talk a bunch of principles, but when I break it down and give you this example, you're going to go, I've done that. For me personally, it's a spiritual overreach, and it's, it's it's a frustration for me. But it's in play in my heart is when I share the gospel or evangelize. And it goes something like this. Let me, let me kind of share how it happens. We all know the very last three verses of Matthew. Jesus' final words. Go, all authority has been granted me in heaven and on earth. So I say to you, on the basis of that authority, go into all nations and make disciples. Teaching them everything that I've taught you. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And guess what? I will be with you always in that effort to the end of the age. Right? Matthew 28, 19 to 21. Or or 18 to 20. Okay? Those of you that were in the Acts study remember Jesus' words in Acts chapter 1, the opening chapter of Acts which is Jesus saying, hey, stay in Jerusalem. (laughs) And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to do what? Exactly what Matthew recorded. To be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the utmost parts of the world. That's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So you got Matthew making... Uh, a final word statement and acts agreeing. Now, here's the deal. Stay with me. We're not told if in our effort to be his witness, we're not told if some, many, most, all, or none, will believe. 
we don't know. He didn't say. What we know is that we are to be his witnesses. Done. Share the gospel. Done. Here's where my struggle comes. For a long time, when I couldn't, I'd go on a mission trip. I'd speak in Taiwan or Africa or faraway places, and it was there to reach souls, reach people, and I'd come home. Uh, we sometimes tease and call it missionary uh, numbers. You ever heard that? It's the embellishment. They, missionaries aren't guilty of that. It's just we came to believe that, you know, man, they're, they, they work magic. They go to some faraway place, and everybody that hears. I mean, I hear Brad Butcher, one of my favorite people in the world, and he goes to India, and all of India becomes a Christian in a day, and then it happens the next time he goes, you know, and this kind of thing. But the point is there's exciting things going on there. But here's the deal. If you go to a exciting place, uh, your job or your neighborhood, your family, and you, you share the gospel. Not big and fancy, but you just share the gospel. And, and you don't have a conversion story to tell. I'm tempted in that moment. I want to say everybody believed. Everybody raised their hand. Everybody came forward. Or, or or everybody was saved and will be in heaven someday as a result of my effort. Um, took me a long time to realize that the Bible, not only in witnessing, but the Bible in so many commands that God gives us to carry out. Um, those are the priorities we're talking about. Are supposed to be practiced, period. And we should leave the results to him. For the next few minutes, I want to explain why that's been so hard to do. And I'm absolutely convinced in the Holy Spirit that it's not just for me. It's hard for you, maybe for the same three reasons I'm going to give you quickly. Or maybe you've got your own that I would love to hear about. I really would. I'm not, uh, um, it's important, okay? So, when we don't leave the results to God, that is spiritual overreach. It is. Um, I thought about why that tendency in me and, and maybe us. Here's the first reason. We have trouble at times trusting that God is at work and will carry out his purposes. Confession time, you take what part fits you, okay? We have trouble at times believing that God is at work and will carry out his purposes. Uh, despite the fact that the Bible says, I'm quoting Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, You'll eventually open your Bible in a few minutes to Luke 15. But here's Ephesians 1. In Christ we were chosen, having been predestined, listen to this, according to the plan of Him 
who works everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. He works at everything, not some things or most things, everything according to plan. So to my struggle sometimes to trust that God's at work, Ephesians is saying that's not an accurate perception, Steve. And that's New Testament. Flip back to the Old Testament. And Isaiah the prophet, we've come to trust over the years, right? Like anything in the Bible. Isaiah says this in chapter 46, verse 10. He's quoting God. These are God's words. I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come. Listen, I say my purpose will stand and I will do what I please, end quote. Isaiah 46, verse 10. When someone says, my purpose will stand, and I do as I please, you assume a couple of things. You assume that they are a sovereign, that they don't need to get permission, they don't need to have counsel, input. They are all wise. They are all-knowing. And they are all-powerful to pull it off, Right? So when God says that, that takes me from, you know, I'm not really sure God's at work. I just don't trust that he's actually working sometimes behind the scenes. The Bible's saying not only is he working, he's got it. You do your part and remember the four-letter word, done. Do your part. So I'm going to press what I just said to an extreme. That includes also... Jesus' death on a cross. A situation that got out of hand? Nope. According to his deliberate plan? Yep. These words came out early in our study in Acts. Chapter 2, verse 23, happens to be early in the message the very first message by Peter, the apostle, on the day of Pentecost. He's trying to explain everything that's going on, and these are his words. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by Pontius Pilate. Write down Acts, it's in your notes, Acts 2.23. It does not say Pontius Pilate or anybody, any other human person there. It says, handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross, end quote. If what I'm saying is true, the Bible is saying, I have a predetermined plan. I am absolutely sovereign and in control of that plan, and I do as I please. If that's all true then we need to make some adjustments. I need to make the adjustment that that song, Waymaker, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness, My God, that is who you are. And then it goes on to say, even when I don't see it, you're working. When we sing songs, this just happens to me automatically, thanks to the wonderful leadership of our worship people. 
I visualize that because I don't see it all the time. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't, here's one more, feel it, you're working. And then it adds, you never stop. You never stop. You're always working. Can I get an amen? Is that cool or what? This is not up to me. Um, do those words describe a struggle in you? Where you're, you don't see, you don't feel. And if you say, yeah, that's me sometimes, I just, I just go, oh, I don't know. I prayed, nothing happened. Said I was sorry and asked forgiveness. Didn't change anything. Uh, shared the gospel with that guy. Nothing happened. Man, there's so much more. Um, in those moments, do you assume God is or isn't working? I want to tell you, the other day I filled up a vehicle at Costco. I, I tried to pick a time of day where I knew the line wouldn't be long. And uh, I was off <laughs> my planning. So I had about 15 minutes in line, and that was okay. And I was texting people and doing things that, you know, you're not supposed to do when you're moving, and I wasn't. So um, I get up, and I, a guy fills up the car, and I had Debbie's car. And um, comes over to my window and kind of stood there. It was a little lazy moment. I'm like, man, this place is crazy. And... Um, comes to my window, I said, so bro, I said, how's your life going? And uh, I know he wanted to ask, you want a receipt or not? <laughs> you, know, you know the guy, right? And he, he pauses and he walks the length of the car and comes back to the window. He goes, how could it be going well in the world we live in? He says, I'm telling you, man, there's no one to vote for. There's no good options. And uh, I don't see a good outcome. said a couple more things. My gas was done. I was going to hold up the whole world if I don't get going. And I didn't say, hey, you know what? I know there's a candidate coming up that's going to be different. I said, you know what? I agree with you which is why I hold on tighter to Jesus Christ than I ever have. He went from grumpy gas guy to, can you take me home with you? I mean, it was like, <laughs> seriously, it was a moment. That's all I said. I didn't say, you know, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. You got 10 minutes, I want to share the gospel with you. I just said, the answer is, Jesus, I agree with you. This is a bummer time in our world. But I, I hold on to Jesus. Amen? That's what I'm saying. Leave the results to God. I went home thinking, God, I don't know how you're going to do it any further, but you're the one working. Um, so you see, trusting that God is at work and carrying out His purposes is the correct place to land, and, and, it, and it will prevent something. 
that we're capable of, and that's spiritual overreach. Here's the second reason that we have a tendency to overreach, I think, spiritually, and that is we are results-oriented people who get impatient easily. Would you write that one down? I know it's admitting a sin, but go ahead and write it down. And maybe it's for somebody that's not here and you'll be able to share it with them. But we are results-oriented people, which means we get sometimes impatient easily. It's not, not hard to get there. Um, when we work at something or wish for something and there's little to no evidence that it's happening, we instinctively assume something, and that is that it didn't work. Let me give you a silly example, but it happens to me. I'm at my computer. I click on something, and there's the icon that starts to circle. And they've got colorful ones now to keep you from having a stroke, you know. You just you watch that thing circle. You know how many circles I let it do? Two. <laughs> Two. And I X out and I try it again. If it's still there, you know what I do? Reboot. <laughs> Kick that thing to the curb and start over. That's called impatient because, man, I am, a, I am a guy who wants results. And it's not happening. So I'm going to start over. Painkillers are exactly the same way. I know this gets serious. I'm not talking anything with oxy. I'm just talking uh, ibuprofen, okay? I, take, I get a slight little, it's coming, so I'll take a couple right now. And it's, how long do you wait before you take a couple more Advil? Longer than me. <laughs> I'm here in four hours. I'm like, you're kidding me. You are a mercenary. Oh, my goodness. No, I'm just like, hey, those first two, maybe they were old. I'll try a couple more. <laughs> you know, that's, um, you know, the, the club, that's a well-worn example. But, you know, we go, I got to change it up. I got to look a little different, getting my one piece this summer and all this. And so, here's what I'm going to do. Go to the club, kill ourselves for four days, and we see little to no results. Ah, that didn't work. None. None. All right, those are silly, but here's importantly where it comes into spiritual things. Think about a spiritual longing that you have in your heart for a spouse, a child, a parent, Or a friend. It's a longing you have. And I don't mean any judgment here. But you know they're lost. You know it. And that's what drives this longing in your heart. Your heart feels a little bit like the Apostle Paul when he was... You just need to read Romans 9 again. Verses 1 to 3, he just says, listen to this. He, he had the same ache. He wasn't ripping on his fellow Jew. 
He simply said, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and increasing anguish in my heart. I would be willing to be cursed in hell if they could be saved. That passage in Romans 10 has bugged me forever. So I don't quite have it that hard, but I feel it deeply. So there's this longing in our hearts. And I want to get personal for a sec, okay? And I, I, there's a, if most of us made a list of the top three or five scriptures that are stories in the Bible that we, we relate to the most, most of us would have Luke 15. My Bible's open there. If you turn there real quick, some of you are saying, wow, it took them 30 minutes to get into the Bible. It's, <laughs> it's really not true because I've been stitching all kinds of scriptures together. But this is the story that Jesus told in Luke 15 um, of an estranged child, a son, one of two boys. Um, he left home in a huff and he went far away for a time. Here's how Jesus told the story. Verse 11 starts. There was a man with two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them, the two boys. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Verse 30 adds more color to the wild learning, uh, living. Verse 14, now, after he had spent everything, he was in, there was a severe famine in that whole country, everywhere it, it was impacted, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'm going to set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven. And against you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he did. He got up, went to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and repeatedly kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, none of this. He said to his servants, quick, bring out the best robe, put it on my boy, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is now found. And they began to celebrate. Glorious story, quoted by me, read by me to hundreds over the years because it's so relevant. But something hit me this week that I'd not shared, given this message. Even when you don't see it, he's working. Have you wondered as you read, even read it again, you know, for the umpteenth time, have you ever wondered what the dad did 
during the long days of not seeing his son. That gets super practical for all of us. Because all of us know someone that's lost. We want more than anything. Maybe like Paul, I'd give up everything for them to come home. And we, we ache for that. And I'm asking the question of this dad. We don't even know him except dad, father. And um, the father, by my reading with fresh eyes, had no contact with his son from verses 13 to verse 20. None. We just know he was far away, and we, knew, we know that he stayed there long enough to be a mess. It was a problem. Yet, when we read the details, as we've done again, we know that there was a lot, not a little, a lot happening behind the scene, out of view completely of the son's circumstances. Notably, he came to a place of powerful, shameful need. Verses 14 to 16. Don't tell me shame uh, is an awful, terrible thing. There are some uh, uh, iterations of shame that actually get a person's attention. He's feeding pigs. He comes to this place of going, I was royalty. Look at this terrible mess I've made of my life, which brings me to a second thing that was underway. He came to terms with the fact that this situation in his life was his fault. Who leads with, I've sinned against heaven and against you, Dad, except somebody that's done making excuses? And I love verses 19 to 20. And all this behind the scene. Dad doesn't know it until the day Dad's like, what? It's him. 19 and 20 says, he had resolved and went home. This boy. And the correct conclusion is, God is at work and was at work the entire time this Wayward one was wayward. And positive outcomes take time to marinate. And we mustn't become impatient lest we are tempted to overreach. One more reason we've got time for it. We often overreach spiritually. And if something hasn't been hard for you to hear yet this morning, this one might be a little hard for some to hear. Okay? Get ready to write again. It's your third one. Here it is. We have a distorted, even inflated view of our role and its impact that borders on hubris. Hubris isn't just a synonym for pride. It's a defiant pride. It's a defiant pride. We have a distorted, 
even inflated view of our role and the impact of our touch that borders on hubris. Have you ever thought, uh, I'm the only one who can pull this off? That didn't click with everybody. Here's one that might. Have you ever thought if it's up, if it is to be? I knew you. You helped me with that one. If it is, if it's to be, it's up to me. I've said that. I really meant that, and I was really wrong. The Holy Spirit said, for real? You want to revisit that one? Bro, it's not up to you. Um, When you think like that, you too are way off the mark, like I was. And whenever it rises up in me, it's not happening. If it's going to be, I guess it's up to me. It's a huge overreach. The truth is, according to Jesus Christ, apart from me, said Jesus, what? You can do nothing. That was in John chapter 15, which is the last place you need to stop. Would you flip just one book over, Luke? Go to John chapter 15, and you will join Jesus in the very last night he was with his disciples before the cross. He said that, those words, apart from me you can do nothing. He said that to his ambitious disciples who'd spent now at this point three years with him and were well-trained, well-equipped, and may I say it, highly motivated to go after it, to get in the game. In fact, um, it made me think of a, a locker room conversation. And, and if you've been in sports, you know some of this at some level. It's that coach that gathers the team together one last time before the big game and they head out to the field or the court or whatever it is. And it's, it's called a locker room like, like challenge or chat or some call it a pep talk. It's way more than that. It's like a, like a warrior talk. It's this last talk. And Jesus gave that last talk, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. It was a whole night. Only chapter 15 is the core of it. And, he, and, he's, and so Jesus says, hey, it's game time, fellas. I'm leaving my work in your hands. So go get them and good luck. <laughs> right? Not even close. His actual words in this locker room were recorded in John 15. I'm going to read them now, and I want you to count how many times a single expression, a three-word expression repeats. Um, I'll give you a hint. It's a lot. Verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it'll bear even more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit of itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. 
Getting the, the hint here. I'm emphasizing it. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. And branch, these branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is my this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Remain in me. You count 11 of them? 11 times. Stay close. Connected. Abide. Walk in step with me. Remember, I am the vine. You are the branches. My father's the gardener. Everybody knows their place and their role. You will do well if you remember because here's the deal. I'm in the game with you. Back to the locker room. Say, where do you get that? Three of the verses, verse 4, verse 5, and verse 7 that we just read, it's a mutual. Do you see that? Verse 4, don't, 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 don't miss it. I'm not making this up. Remain in me as I also remain in you. Verse 4. Verse 5, I am the vine. If you remain in me and I in you. See that? Verse 7, it just keeps going. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. We go together. His point is we walk together in this. There's more to the outcome of this game, team than your effort. So don't overreach. Do your part and leave the results to him. I'd like you to bow with me this morning. As we wrap this up in song, I want the, the clearest moment to say to you, if you're in the house or you're live stream, I failed to welcome you in earlier, but we're glad you're with us. <clears throat> we're talking a lot about we can only remain in Him if we have a relationship with Him. It's like we weren't born into this thing. We're born again into this thing. A relationship with a God that says, let's go together. Let's walk the road, the path ahead as one. You need to remain in me and I'm going to remain in you. My word wants to have a place at the table. When you're trying to decide your next move, I will furnish that. My Holy Spirit will provide that. So we can only remain in Him if we have a relationship with Him. If that's not true of you, it's no fault. In fact, it's the starting point. 
100% of every person that says, I'm a Jesus lover or follower or a Christian, started not in a relationship with him. So you're in a perfect place for it all to begin right now. If you're in the house or in your house, will you turn to him right now and, and say, you know, I, I, I've been overreaching like crazy. I've been trying to do things that just can't be humanly done. And uh, I want to stop that. I want to actually start a relationship with you. You can do it right now. If, if you're making a move, the Holy Spirit's moving in to live where He wants to live, your heart, would you reach out to me? No pleasure would be greater in ministry for my heart than to talk with you and say, welcome. It's good to have you in the family. Let's walk together. We've got brothers and sisters like crazy that will back you. This great song, um, I told the team before we set to come out here today that I don't know of too many moments in song that, that connect better than Make Room, the song that we're about to sing. It's, it's not all up to you and me. It's seeing Jesus take what we do and doing whatever he wants to do, just like the song says. So do your part and leave the results to him. Let's stand together and let's be led in great song.